welcome. It is so good to see all of your smiling eyes. <laughs> Lois was the first one that I saw that made me think of that, so I thought I'd share it with all of you. When you stepped into this building this morning, into this space, nothing much may have changed for you. I mean, you came from the cold outside into the warm inside, sure, and from being kind of alone to being part of a group. But it's just a room, right? It's just a building where people gather. Well, for those people who are listening online, they're not even in a different place. They're probably listening right where they usually spend a lot of their time. But I'd like you to imagine something with me. Imagine that this isn't just a comfortable room for people to gather in and interact with each other, but that this is the throne room of the great king. The great king, he is the kindest and the strongest of rulers, and we are all his subjects. Better than subjects, we are his adopted daughters and sons. The king is our father. That makes us princesses and princes and makes us equals with one another. So this morning, we are not just focusing on the sights and sounds at the front of the room, but on the invisible presence of God the King. And in the different parts of the service that we offer to him, he also speaks to us. We hear him individually in our spirits, and we somehow hear from him together. We hear what we need to live well in his kingdom. So let's remind ourselves in song that the Lord is king. you to pray the call to worship with us using the words of Psalm 22 that you will see on the screen. So let's pray this call to worship 
all together. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. This next song is kind of a call and response. So I'm going to sing a line and then you can respond with, for your love is never ending. identify with me, though I have just repeated in that last song God's great acts of rescue for his people, I sometimes feel that personally I'm not part of it. Instead of feeling saved, I experience, as Jesus did on the cross, a sense of abandonment. And I pray, as he did, the opening verses of Psalm 22. And so for our confession prayer, I'm going to use those words of Psalm 22. And when I get to the part that we read earlier, verses 3 to 5, I'm going to read it in a different tone of voice than we did before. And that's because now it will be bitter and sarcastic. So let's pray. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, 
but I find no rest. And yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted in you, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Jesus, sometimes it feels like the life of faith, Christianity, following you, whatever I want to call it, it works for other people, but not for me. But I confess that as a lie of your enemy, and I profess the truth that the life of faith is for me too. Amen. So my personal complaint has been voiced, and now my soul is going to recognize that God's salvation is not just for that big group, but for little old me, for my soul. So let's sing number 177. What wondrous love is this? 177, just the first couple of verses. Song of Assurance, Seek Ye First, number 42.
scripture reading this morning from Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abigail, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are, you are old, old, and, and your, your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But they said, Give us a king to lead us. This displaced Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king, and he said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will make your sons and, your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfume, perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of, his, of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. Good morning. There are a number of things that we have to announce and pray for. So if you have your bulletin on you, then take those out right away. First things first, as far as, oh, I should say, dismiss the children to children's church. I forgot that. Please bow with me in a word of prayer to do that. Dear God, we thank you so very much for the children of this church. We thank you so much for the teachers of children's church as well. 
God, we pray that you give them the words to say in order to teach the little ones something that will stick with them the rest of their life. We also pray for this service. We pray a blessing upon it. We pray that we will hear you clearly. In your name we pray, amen. All right, uh, Children's Church, ages 3 to 11, uh, down the hallway where the women's washroom is. All right. So now back to announcements. Uh, as you can see from your bulletin, there are a number there. We're going to start off actually with one that isn't listed, uh, and that is from Lyndon Gunther about the Christmas concert. On December 5th, we are going to have our Christmas concert. Uh, we've titled it the, the Sunday School Christmas Concert of the Past. This year we are titling it the EMC Christmas Concert, so that if you're not regularly attending Sunday School or you want to uh, contribute to the Christmas concert um, without being part of the Sunday school class in particular, uh, you're welcome to do so. And obviously Sunday school classes are welcome to try to put something together as well. So that is not very far away. And so what I'm going to ask is uh, if you have something that you would like to bring to the, Sunday, or to the Christmas concert, whether it be a, a musical act or a skit or a reading or anything that... Um, you feel that you want to bring, please get a hold of me and let me know. And if I don't have a bunch of people come forward by next week at this time, I'm going to start contacting you and asking you to put something together. And so, uh, Sunday school teachers, if you want to kind of lead that discussion in your class, or family groups, if you want something that you want to, to bring, uh, please get a hold of me and let me know. So that's Sunday, December 5th. And we're looking at a 7 p.m. start time. Thank you. Uh, next, YFC is having their banquet on November 12th. Uh, it's a pickup food banquet. Dawson has been announcing it the last couple weeks. Make sure to get your uh, pre-registration that you want to have one of those meals in by November 1st, which is not very long from now. Make sure to get it in by tomorrow. Uh, then, beyond that, ladies Bible study at 1.20 p.m., uh, youth at 7.30 uh, at the church, uh, prayer meeting at 7 o'clock, uh, Sunday school worship service. Then beyond that, uh, nominations are now opening for the different uh, positions in the church. There's a list available in the foyer. If you can get your, um, if you can get your nominations in as soon as you can to the nominating committee, then that would be very much so appreciated. All right, then we move on to prayer items. Uh, and the first one is one that is not actually listed here. You probably saw or have heard from around town. Randy Vancouvering passed away last morning. And so definitely we want to keep the Vancouverings in our prayers over the days and weeks to come. Uh, as well as all of Randy's many friends that are taking it particularly hard, including many of the people here. So Randy Vancouvering and the Vancouvering family as you can see from your bulletins, Bilal and Fatima, uh, they are our refugee family. They are finally, after many a long year, it seems that they're finally on their way. And so that is great news. Sandra Sawatsky and Dan, who are living in the city now, are taking point in helping to get them settled in. There are a lot of details that still need to be sorted out before that happens, but at the same time, just praise to God that after and we checked seven years, it is finally happening. 
Uh, please pray for the schools of McGregor as well as Manitoba in general. There is quite a staff shortage uh, with both TAs and also subs. So please keep them in your prayers. Please pray for our church as we prepare for Advent, uh, the series that we are going to be doing from the beginning of Advent all the way to Pentecost is on renewal and refocusing on Jesus Christ. And so after the last two years of dealing with this pandemic, I think that that is a topic that we absolutely could use a lot of and to dive very deep into. And so please pray for that series so we can reach it head on when we get to Advent, which is this year, November 28th, I believe, is the first week of Advent. Uh, Next, Deb Richards, please continue to pray for her and all of the wonderful work that she is doing at YFC with young families in the city. Every once in a while, we email back and forth, and while the last couple years have been particularly hard with COVID, at the same time, she keeps on. So please keep her in your prayers. And also, Travis and Rosie, uh, they are having a great time in their ministry in Paraguay, but uh, as you can see there, they are beginning those talks about coming home for a couple months in the new year, and that is very exciting. But a lot of stuff goes into those home visits, and so uh, please pray that all of those things get sorted out. And so with all of those things said, let's go into a time of prayer. God, we come before you in prayer this morning. First off, we come before you in thanksgiving. Lord, Bilal and Fatima, that, that predates my time here even. The entire time I have been here, I have been looking forward to meeting them face to face, and now it seems that it is finally going to happen. We thank you for how you have moved. We thank you for how you have worked in the governing bodies. We thank you for giving us the strength to stick it through. And Lord, we pray that as they come out, that the travel will go well, that the last details will fall into place, that the transition will go well And we pray also for Dan and Sandra and all of the work that they are going to be doing. We thank you so very much for them, that they would take that on. And Lord, we pray that you bless them, as well as the role that we are to play going forward as well, whatever it may be. Most of all, Lord, we thank you that finally, finally, this is coming. And God, we also want to thank you for our church. Lord, we want to thank you for the series that will be coming up soon. A series will be joining EMC churches across the country. Renewal and refocusing on you. God, we pray that as we move into that time, that you put into our lives the things that we need to be there in order for this series to hit us as hard as it should. For it to change us in the pit of who we are. God, thus we pray. And we also pray at the same time that the things that are keeping us from you, the things that are helping us to turn away, God, we pray that those will become addressed as well. Lord, we pray that over the months to come, we will remember them as a time when we have refocused our lives on you again. And we, Lord, we pray to see the results of that. And God, we also wanna say a thank you for Deb Richards. We want to thank you for all of the work that she is doing at YFC with the young families. Lord, we pray a blessing to her. 
Lord, we pray a blessing to her as she figures out how her ministry looks going forward post-pandemic. And God, most of all, we pray just give her the strength and compassion on a day-to-day basis that she needs to continue doing her work as well as she has been. God, we thank you for Deb, and we pray a blessing on her ministry. And we say the same thing. Thank you for Travis and Rosie. We thank you so very much for how they have built the church in Paraguay. We thank you so much for how they have impacted the lives of so many people. And now as they are looking to come home for a couple months, God, we pray that all of the details that need to fall into place for that to happen, that they will fall into place. God, we are excited to see them again. And our Lord, we also want to come before you with concerns as well. Lord, we pray for our schools. Lord, we pray for the shortage of subs and the shortage of teaching assistants as well. We have asked so very much of our teachers. We have asked so very much for the workers that clean and maintain and help the teaching as well. We have asked so very much of them over these past two years that it hurts us that it is this hard for them now. And so, God, we pray a blessing upon them. God, we pray a blessing on the lives of the people that could step in to these positions. And God, we pray that we don't forget just how much we care for what they do. And God, we also want to pray for the Vancouvering family after the passing of Randy. I'm not quite sure for the words. God, we pray be strength that they need right now. God, we pray be with the children, be with Annette, be with Randy's friends who are taking this so very hard. It has been a very hard last couple years. We thank you that he is home with you now, and we pray be with those that are left behind. In your name, we bring all of these things before you. Amen. As Russell prepares to preach and we prepare to listen, we want to sing, sing a prayer about that. And so I invite you to turn to number 450. Lord, speak to me. We'll just sing the first couple of verses of 450.
And we are back to exploring how to read the Old Testament for our sermon today by focusing on that one question that we have been focusing on over the last couple outings in the series. The question, who is Israel? So far, we have learned that Israel are a people that are in a covenant relationship with God. We learn that Israel are a people who have the kind of relationship that allows them to wrestle with our Lord back and forth. And that's an intricate part to who Israel is. And also that Israel are people of the law. That is people that know how to act as God's people. This is who we have seen Israel to be in the Old Testament so far. And as followers of Jesus Christ, people who believe that he is the Son of God, who have repented for our sins, placing them with our Lord, and who follow Jesus as he leads us, we know that this is the family that we Christians are a part of as well. All this we have learned from our time through the Old Testament so far, and we are only five books deep. So there are still, and here we're going to take advantage of the fact that it is uh, Halloween, originally a Christian holiday, wouldn't you know? Uh, I have candy. We're going to have little periodic quizzes as we go through the service today. I also have this little Viking hat, which is not completely on theme, but a little bit on theme to what we'll be talking about today. Uh, I will put that up to a vote if you want me to wear it or not. And so, show of hands, should I wear it? Thank you. (laughs) I get a briefly, so as we get to a particular point, then that is what will happen, but it'll be here. All right, so first quiz. How many books are there in the Old Testament? These are going to be pretty simple quizzes. Menno. You got it. Peanut M&Ms, Twix, an arrow. Very good. That is the only one that we actually have that's an arrow. 39 books in the Old Testament. And we've gone through five, so we're going to be flying after this. And so we continue where we left off. With the passing of the titan of the Old Testament, Moses. uh, Which you can read about in Deuteronomy 34, which uh, is an interesting passage. As history says that Moses wrote the Torah, all five of the first books, and somehow wrote about his own death. But that's a discussion for a different day. And so the mantle of leadership of the Hebrew people passes on to, from Moses to a man named Joshua, who was his assistant. And for 40 years, we read, the Hebrew people have wandered in the wilderness with almost all of the generation that knew the horrors that Egypt was passing away. Wandering all of that time trying to find the land of Israel, the land that God had promised to Abraham all of those many years ago and had also promised to Moses that this would be the land for the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people had a chance actually to enter into the promised land earlier than they did. 
But a people called the Edomites, upon seeing a great multitude before them one day, decided that the Hebrew people were probably a threat. And so they barred their way from entering, forcing them to go all the way around. And the Edomite land was a very big and very unhospitable region. Uh, This is our first encounter with the Edomites. Uh, but we've actually met their ancestors before, for they are the descendants of Esau, uh, cousins to the children of Israel, and we will encounter them again. But while the lands of the Edomites were large, they were not endless. And so finally, after a long time, the Hebrew people arrive at the outskirts of the land of milk and honey, the land that was to be their new home. And what follows as we open the book that borrows Joshua's name, that is the book of Joshua, is a story of conquest. And quite a bloody story of conquest, even by our Hollywood-drenched brain standards. First, the Israelites take Jericho, the great walled city. They had asked the kings of Jericho to let them pass by, but the kings refused. So the Israelites sent in spies to get a feel for the situation. And they were almost caught, and they would have surely been if they were not saved by a woman of the evening. A woman named for a Twix. Who knows the name? Oh, who said that? (laughs) Do we want to hand them out already? There we go. (laughs) Thanks, David. Rahab, and she helped out of fear of God, we read, helped them out of the city at great personal risk, because if she was caught, most certainly that would have been not only the death of her, but probably the death of her family as well. And as they returned to camp, uh, the spies, then Joshua was left unsure of what to do. And so he came before the Lord in prayer, we read, and God sent an answer, sent an angel of the Lord to answer. March around the city seven days, and then on the last, march seven times around, and then blare the trumpets, and God will knock the walls down. March around with the Ark of the Covenant at your front. And so they did, and so it was. And the walls came tumbling down, and all who lived in Jericho fell before the Israelites, save Rahab and her family, who was instead taken into the fold, became an Israelite. And many generations later, she would have a descendant who would be a great king of Israel. And she would have a later descendant who would be an even greater one. After Jericho, the Israelites continued on, coming into the land of Abraham from the west over the Jordan River. And before long, almost all the regions had fallen before them, and their God, who was at their head, instructing them the way that they should go, with a single mantra guiding them, leave nothing standing. We talked a little last week about how there are things that happen in the Old Testament that are hard for us today to stomach. And the book of Joshua has a large number of them. Genocide of the Canaanites who lived in the region when the Israelites sweep in, it's, it's prevalent in this book, and that, that should be something that we struggle with. There is no clear answer as to why God needs to do things this way, why the God of love that we know does this. There is only one God of the Bible, the whole Bible. There is only one God. 
And so we are left wrestling. But that's not a bad thing. Israel are the people that wrestle with God. To wrestle with him is how we go deeper in our faith. But there is a theological point here that we shouldn't lose in that wrestling. And the idea that now, after a generation of direct guidance from God, the Hebrew people, who were once slaves, are now an unstoppable army, that does say something about the power of God and how it should be understood. It does say something about how God's people should be viewed when they stay close to the Lord as well, especially in light of the rest of the story we're going to cover today. Don't lose that point in your wrestling with the Lord, but it shouldn't stop you from wrestling either. But on and on the army goes, God and Joshua at their head, and just as the war seems all but done, victory all but ensured, the Hebrew people decide that they've had enough. And they settle in the lands taken, each tribe to their own region. Judah and Benjamin are in the south, and the other nine tribes are in the north. And Levi, of whom Moses belonged, left without a land to call their own, for instead they were tasked to be the spiritual caretakers and the priests of the rest of the tribes. As a part of the law, then God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments on slabs of stone. And for those slabs, the Israelites had constructed a grand box held aloft by two great poles called, who knows what that box was called, where the Ten Commandments were kept. Yes. If you've ever seen the best Indiana Jones, it is poorly represented there. But the Ark of the Covenant, it was believed that where it went, God went as well. The Levites were in charge of caring for the box, as well as the, Lent, the, the complex that hosted it, called the tabernacle. So you'll come across that word quite a bit in the New Testament, especially in the book of Hebrews, but that's what it's referring to. It was uh, there that they helped perform sacrifices for the people, uh, in those days. And as they cared for the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle, the Levites were in turn cared for by the tribes through tithing uh, from them. And so into their places, the people settled. Enemies still in their midst, for they didn't take care of all of the Canaanites. And during this time, the world around the Israelites actually began to enter into a new age. The Bronze Age slowly coming to an end, and the early Iron Age took hold. And we know this because as the book of Joshua comes to an end and the pages of scripture continue to go by, we begin to hear not just of the Canaanite people who were in the land where the Israelites had conquered, but also of a new group that lived closer to the coast, a people called the Philistines. And the Philistines were a people who, like the Egyptians, were in many ways very different from the Israelites. And as such, as the story goes, they are a people that Israelites really go out of their way to be seen as not like them. The Philistines are very much so the other in the book of Judges. Toward the end of the Bronze Age, a lot of things all happened at once that caused the collapse of once very mighty civilizations. 
There was a series of cold summers caused by volcano eruptions that we know about from archaeology and from drilling core samples. Uh, this caused famines that were likely caused uh, internal instability in the civilizations of that time, and that's what food shortages always seem to do. And then a mysterious group called the Sea Peoples began to show up and do war with the people that were already living there. And these attacks brought the Egyptians closer to collapse than they had ever been before. And it outright did destroy the Hittite Empire, uh, who were a people in the north uh, of Is to the north of Israel, kind of in modern Turkey, Syria, that region. Uh, their fall paved the way for a new power to rise, a power called the Assyrians. They will come up quite a lot next week. But the prominent theory goes that the Philistines were from the Sea Peoples, and the reason that we think that is because the time lines up, and also the pottery looks like it would be, uh, and also the bones of the animals they ate. And they were thought that they came from somewhere around Greece. Uh, Greek people at that time, and now I suppose, they eat an awful lot of pigs. And those were the bones that they found an awful lot of around the Philistine cities that didn't really exist in the rest of uh, Israel. Interestingly enough, while the prohibition on pork in the law, it comes from before this, it is during this period of time that it becomes particularly well observed in the writings about how important it is to not eat pork just skyrocket in this period. But the Greek Philistines are very different than the Semitic Israelites. They worshipped different gods. They spoke a language that didn't sound a thing like Hebrew. They had different customs, a very different culture, and they were in nearly every way not at all like the Hebrew people. They were the others. They were the threat. And so is the situation as we enter and progress through the book of Judges. Each of the tribes keeping mostly to themselves and become more and more separated from one another as time goes by as a result of keeping mostly to themselves. Each were headed by elders that were in the towns. And the tribes are all related, but that doesn't mean that they don't get into squabbles, even battling back and forth between one another from time to time. And in their midst, there are these Philistines, as well as the remaining Canaanites as well, and as we read through the book of Judges, we see a pattern emerging. The people forget to live by the law, and as a result, their sin overtakes them. They worship other gods before the Lord, and in doing so, they turn their back on God, pushing him away because that is what sin always is, because that is what worshiping other gods always is, because that's what sin always does. It pushes away God. And then they find themselves attacked by outsiders and are persecuted and are enslaved. And so, in desperation, they call out to God, save us. And as he promised, God listens. And so he sends a judge to set the situation right. A judge is not as we would think of a judge, but instead uh, they're a leader sent to carry out the judgment of God. The people are then saved by the judge, and sadly, rinse, repeat. Time and again, this happens over the course of the book of Judges. And sadly, as the book goes on, this cycle, so very similar to how sin always cycles in us, uh, 
It causes life for the Israelites to spiral, not just in a circle, but downward. And the time between relapses decreases. At the beginning of the book of Judges, the problems that the people find themselves in are comparatively somewhat mild to what they come across by the end of it. At first, they are at war with the remaining Canaanites, and they need protection. Then, as the book goes on, the Philistines enter the picture, and they do really wreck up the joint, as you can take from the story of Samson, but they are nothing compared to what it is the Israelites face at the end of the book. There, the true enemy of the peoples stops them, and it isn't the Philistines. The last judge of the book finds himself in a situation so awful that the only solution he can think of to save his people ends with the near extermination of one of the tribes of Israel themselves, Benjamin, who had truly fallen into their sin. You leave the book of Judges wondering just what is the problem that keeps causing this? Is it these outsiders or is it the people that keep turning away? Among the judges that you might have heard of, Deborah, Gideon, Samson. Also during this time comes the book of Ruth about a non-Israelite woman who finds herself widowed without a son and having to care for her mother-in-law, Naomi. This would be a situation that would end almost everyone in that time destitute before long, as it was not a world in where women, especially non-Israelite women living in Israel, had power of any kind to care for themselves. But yet, throughout the book, Ruth is guided by her own intuition, the wisdom of her mother-in-law, and by God into the circle of a man named, who knows the name? Ah, uh, I think... Agatha, I think you got it. <laughs> Twix or M&Ms? <laughs> <Very well. laughs> and uh, Ruth uh, wins the affection of Boaz. The book ends by informing us that many generations later, through their line, a king was born. The same king descended from Rahab. And many generations later, another greater king was born as well. But while stories like this one brighten what is otherwise happening in the background, there's no dismissing that at this point in the Old Testament, the Israelites are in a really bad way. Something just needs to change because even though when the people follow God, things go well, they, they always seem to forget that. They always seem to sin and to fall away. And then when they do, the threats arise before them, internal or outside, and it threatens their very safety, worse and worse each time. So to this problem, what do you think the people's solution should be? You, you would think that it would just be, don't stop following God in the first place, all problems solved, right? Well, that would definitely be the obvious choice that the writers of the Old Testament are trying to guide us towards. Or, or, alternatively, you could also choose just to bring in someone with an army of his own to protect you instead. Because the perk of going that way is that, in theory anyway, even if you do fall away from God and threats arise, well, then you have a guy with an army to sort things out for you. So no possible problems are going to come from that. 
And so it was that as the people, when faced with a new threat on their horizon, this one, again, an internal one, they put their heads together and this is the choice they made. They needed a king. The Philistines had kings. The Egyptians had a king. Those up-and-coming Assyrians, they had a king. All the nations around them had kings and they were safe-ish. No matter what nonsense they got up into. And so it was that during the reign of the last judge, a man named Samuel, as we turn to the first book bearing his name, the people approached him, saying that they would have a royal to protect them instead of the judges sent by God. First Samuel 8, it was our passage read for us today. Samuel right away sees a problem with this choice. Safety in a king, do they not remember a single thing from when they were in Egypt? Safety, sure, but at what cost? In their current setup, the people were much more on an even playing field, all of the same general importance in each other's eyes, all under God, as creation would have us be. But when you have a king, what are the people to their leaders then? Look at Egypt. They're slaves without the name. Think of what the everyday people were next to Pharaoh who thought himself a god and his court that took all of the riches of Egypt for themselves. They were dominated, the everyday people under a king. They were oppressed. They were stepped on. Safe? Sure, but both at what cost and also I think that you are having a very limited definition of what it means to be safe if you think you're safe under a king. But the people demanded it. And so Samuel asked the Lord, what should I do? To which the Lord answered, and I paraphrase, if they want to turn away from me, because that's what this is, if they want to turn away from me, then choose them a king. And so Samuel picked a king from the tribe of Benjamin, the same tribe who only a short while before committed those horrors that nearly made wiping them out the righteous thing to do. His name was Saul, and we read in 1 Samuel 9 that in every way he looked the part of a king. Some of the things Saul does of consequence during his reign, uh, though the list is not nearly as long as the successor's is, but some of the things that he does that are of note is that he makes Jerusalem his capital city. Uh, he goes a long way to keeping the Philistines in check. He does do that. And he wages war on the people called the Edomites, eventually placing them under subjugation to the king in Jerusalem. This will have repercussions down the line. But as the story goes on, we learn that Saul did not listen to God when God talked. And so the Lord's blessing was taken from him. And so Samuel picks another king, David, from who knows what line he's from and who knows where he's from. I suspect you all will come the beginning of Christmas. Oh, I get to keep some of this candy myself. He is from Bethlehem, from the line of Judah. He's from the same line as Ruth and Rahab. 
the two outsiders who were more Israelite than many of the ancestors of the previous king. More Israelite because they listened to God. David does not look like a great and noble king when he is chosen. Nor does he during a lot of his reign either as you read about it, as you go through the rest of 1 Samuel and then into 2 Samuel. At times he is straight up a shady dude. He's underhanded and opportunistic to the point that whether he cares for anything other than his own ambition is at times a little gray when you're reading about the things that he does. But when push comes to shove, David listens when God talks to him. And that is something amazing. And so he is remembered as the greatest and godliest king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. A lot of the Psalms we read to this day, praising the Lord, are attributed to him, though the book of Psalms itself, that would be compiled quite a bit later. David's early years are marked with civil war. Not all the tribes acknowledge his claim to the throne, but one by one they fall in line until all of Israel is united under him, united under the king who listens to God. In time, David's son Solomon takes over with, after quite a bit of internal conflict, and he is considered wise and wealthy beyond measure. And Solomon builds a great temple in the capital, Jerusalem, that he places the Ark of the Covenant in. If God was understood to be traveling with the Israelites wherever the Ark was, well now the Ark found a permanent home in Jerusalem, the royal city of the line of David, right down the street from the palace itself. For now, God was going to be where the king was. So once again, we come to our question, who is Israel? Well, we know Israel are who was in a covenant relationship with God. We know Israel are those who wrestle with the Lord. We know Israel are people of the law who should know how to act as God's people. But what we also know now, among many other things, but what we also know now is that Israel is apparently not just a birthright, but are instead a people defined by listening to the Lord. Like Rahab, like Ruth. In the same vein, Israel are also a people who can, like everyone else, turn away from God and push him away by giving in to sin, by turning to other gods like the Benjamites at the end of Judges. But we also know that to be Israel is to know that God still keeps reaching out. For though the people kept falling away from God, he kept sending judges to save them when they called. Though they chose a king over him, he went right to reaching out to the kings to help them guide his people. We'll hear more about that next week. As Christians, we know this through our relationship with the Lord. We know that outsiders 
can become followers of God. Obviously, we know that. That is how we came to know Christ in the first place, is it not? So if anyone can know God in his glory, then let us do as Christ calls us to in the Great Commission and spread the news of who our God is and what he has done. Let us spread that news far and wide. As Christians, we know the scourge that sin can be, the scourge that turning away from God, for that is what sin always is, that scourge can be. So by, so be quick to repent of your sins and put them before our Lord, before they can take root. The quicker you can get to them, the easier they will be to deal with. The longer you wait thinking that they are of nothing of consequence, the farther your spiral will go right into the ground. Don't let that happen. And finally, as Christians, we know that even when we turn our backs on the Lord, the Spirit doesn't stop trying to reach out to us. It's us that are just too stubborn to turn around and see what he is doing. So if this is you, then I urge you, turn back to the Lord who loves you. And as you come across others who have also turned their back on Christ, then reach out to them as Christ is reaching out to them. Let them know you miss them with all that you are. Who is Israel? This is. And through Christ, we are as well. So, let's act as the children of God. We have a good king, and we get to look forward to seeing him face to face. So we're going to sing song number 551. 551, soon and very soon. We're going to do something a little different, and that is we're going to sing it exactly the way it is in the hymn book. And what that means is that uh, at the end of verse 2 and at the end of verse 4, there's a little uh, additional couple of hallelujahs. And they go, ha hallelujah, ha hallelujah. So be ready for that, end of verse 2, end of verse 4.
forgot to put the hat on. <laughs> Imagine I had done that when we talked about the Philistines. All right. And for our benediction today, we turn to the book of Ephesians. May God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ grant peace, love, and faith to all the brothers. May grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ and love life imperishable. Go now and serve our God.